Never lose an opportunity to network. Welcome to the Complete Engineering Podcast, Alumni Edition, a series of alumni interviews featuring people who have graduated from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln College of Engineering and are making a mark in the professional world. I'm Carl Vogel, and today we are with Rear Admiral Doug McEnany, who is the Federal Business Group President for HDR, an Omaha-based firm specializing in engineering, architecture, environmental, and construction services around the world. Prior to joining HDR in 2013, he served 35 years in the United States Navy, rising to the rank of Rear Admiral. In that job, he commanded the Pacific Fleet Submarine Force based in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. The fleet has more than 60 submarines and 12,000 personnel. McEnany was the honored alumnus for the College of Engineering during the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's annual Alumni Master's Week, where outstanding alumni from the university's nine colleges return to share their experiences with students. He is a 1978 civil engineering graduate and is our guest today. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's always good to be back at the mothership of the most important part of my education. So uh, the University of Nebraska has got a fond spot in my heart. And I only wish the Husker football team was playing a little bit better, but I I know that's going to come around. (laughs) I know that's going to come around. I hope so, too. And back in 1978, when you graduated with a civil engineering degree, the football team had storied games and storied things. Yeah, their only problem was they couldn't beat Oklahoma. Until 78. Right after I left. That's right. I was an undergraduate for five years. Took a little bit longer uh, because I had a little bit of trouble deciding what I wanted to major in. And five straight years they lost to Oklahoma. That was tough. That was tough. And there were a couple of very, very close games where the Huskers managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, as as we say. But uh, they had a heck of a run after that and uh, a lot of fun to watch. uh, With I was telling the undergraduates in a class that um, when I started at the University of Nebraska, Tom Osborne was in his second year as head coach. So that's how old I am. (laughs) And obviously, this isn't the first time you've been back to the campus since you graduated. Since 1978, what have you seen most change in the College of Engineering? And what's impressed you the most during this visit? Well, you know, I I think it would be, for me at least, the facilities. Uh, When I was an undergraduate civil engineer, we were in Bancroft Hall. And Bancroft Hall is no more. Right. Uh, It was uh, raised and probably should have been, you know, many, many years ago. it was a neat old building, but probably not conducive to the way we teach students in this day and age. I was uh, touring the labs this week, and you know, I, I mentioned that when I was an undergraduate student, there were only three labs uh, for a civil engineering major. You had a materials lab, you had um, a soil mechanics lab, and then you had a computer science lab. And computer science isn't exactly a civil engineering course. Uh, it was a course that I was required to take, but that was my third lab. So you look at the laboratory facilities today and you just can't help but be amazed at how much uh, better they are and how I'm sure they complement uh, a lot of the courses that our undergraduate civil engineers are exposed to. We get students, undergraduate, graduate from not just Nebraska, but all over the country and all over the world, and they all have different paths of getting here. What was your path? 
to getting to the University of Nebraska, and especially the College of Engineering? Well, I think, you know, first of all, my parents instilled in both me and my sisters that there was no option other than to go to college. So that put a sort of a focus and an emphasis on my high school education. My decision to attend the University of Nebraska was sort of a natural You know, Mm -hmm. I felt really comfortable with the people that I'd grown up with, most of whom wanted to come down here and get an education. And so the cohort group that I had uh, growing up in high school all came down here to go to school. And it was a great decision, a decision that changed my life uh, dramatically for the better. And after about a year as an undergraduate, uh, I attracted the attention of the United States Navy and they offered me a scholarship. So I was given a, a a scholarship to continue my studies in an engineering field uh, so that I would be eligible to join the Naval Nuclear Propulsion Program. That's sort of my story at, in Lincoln, Nebraska. And nuclear propulsion program, is that kind of a code for submarines? In, yeah, in the Navy? submarines. And uh, back when I joined the Navy, there were some surface ships cruisers that mm-hmm. were nuclear-powered as well. We don't have any nuclear-powered cruisers anymore in the Navy, but our aircraft carriers are 100% nuclear-powered. I had a choice to go either surface or submarines. I thought the submarine force, I saw the submarine force as more appealing, and so I decided to choose submarines. What, what was it about submarines that you found appealing, and what was it about it in that 35 years that, that you enjoyed the most? Well, the submarine community is a crew size on a submarine. It's a, it's a small unit, so it's about mm-hmm. 150 people. You go to an aircraft carrier, you're talking 5,000 people. Right. So it was a pretty easy decision for me to go submarines. I was taught uh, while I was in my training, mostly by submariners, and they uh, struck me as a very capable group of people, and I wanted to be a part of that. So it was uh, very little thought given to going surface. It was submarines all the way. What kind of engineering work did you initially do with the Navy, or did you do much? So really, I got my undergraduate degree in civil mm-hmm. engineering, and the Navy's Uh, bargain with me was always that they were going to turn me into a nuclear engineer. So I left Lincoln, took a temporary job in Washington, D.C. for just a few months while I waited for my class to begin in Orlando, Florida. And I was converted immediately from a civil engineer to a nuclear engineer. The training pipeline in the Naval Nuclear Propulsion Program is six months of rigorous classroom training requiring 14, 15 hours a day of classroom study. And then after that six-month period, one is sent to a land-based prototype site Mm -hmm. where you get all the practical training uh, that culminates in qualification as an engineering officer to watch. So I did my classroom training in Orlando, Florida, and then I went to Idaho National Engineering Laboratory in Idaho Falls, Idaho, for my practical training out in the middle of a desert facility, way away from populated areas. That's the way they set them up, these DOE facilities. They didn't want them anywhere near populated facilities, really for classified reasons. They they wanted them to be in an isolated location. It kind of helps you keep focused on the work, too. There's not a lot of outside distractions no. in those places. And... Occasional coyote. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, nothing to do but 
work on getting qualified. And that's what my job was. I was expected to get qualified as an engineering officer to watch. Once I completed my qualifications, then uh, all the focus and attention on that was off. And uh, I, I managed to do it very quickly. And so my last seven or eight weeks of a, this 26-week training period was pretty relaxing. That sounds good when you're going through six months of training to, right. to have some time off at the end. Yeah, I actually got to see my wife for a while. <laughs> I, I married my wife before I started my training pipeline, and she was beginning to wonder whether she would ever see me again. So uh, as after my qualification was completed at uh, Idaho National Engineering Laboratory, I was able to spend more time with her, which was nice. And then begins the career that is a kind of typical in the armed forces of lots of moves and lots of stations that you, you were at. Yeah, I'm, I mean, there's an expectation that you will move. It is possible to sort of geolocate in one mm-hmm. area. It's not particularly good for your career to do that because we're sort of a mobile, agile Navy and we want to encourage our people to move around. I moved uh, in a 35-year career, we moved 23 times. So you can do the math on that. That was a a lot of moves. And my wife was absolutely essential to being able to move that often. She is an amazing person uh, who deserves a whole lot of credit, as do my children for my career. I mean, I got to do what I wanted to do. It did require some sacrifice. And uh, it wouldn't have been possible without the family that I had. Yeah, I've talked to some other alumni masters in previous years, especially uh, Don Volte, who works in Australia and, and has built a career in the energy fields out mm-hmm. there. He's mentioned the moving and the settling into new places and getting to know new cultures and the way things are done. And part of our Complete Engineer Initiative here, which is a relatively new thing here at the University of Nebraska, one of the components is intercultural awareness, teamwork, self-management. That's the kind of things you have to learn in the Navy. Those right. are the kinds of things you learn in a supervisory position. Right. Did you get most of that, obviously, from the Navy? And then it was it a yeah. learn-on-the-job kind of situation, or were you always... Well, I grew up manager? in a... Yeah, I grew up in a military family, so I so had a bit of was, an advantage in yeah. that uh, I was required to move. I didn't get a vote. Uh, yeah. I was just required <laughs> to move. And uh, so I learned to adapt Uh, I think adaptation is a big part of growing and developing as a professional. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would say I had a bit of an advantage. I've talked to the students a little bit this week and explained to them that if your aspiration is to move to the top of your professional community, the one piece of advice I would give you is that you need to learn how to network and take advantage of people who have come before you who know a little bit more about what you're facing and that can give you advice, okay? And that's both up and down what I would call the chain of command. So that's your seniors and your juniors because those junior people are following in your footsteps. They need that support. And uh, never lose an opportunity to network because you'll never know when that person or that company or whatever will be in a position to help you out at some future point in your career. And uh, along with that, I think it you develop the interpersonal skills that are important to being an effective leader. But you have to work on it just like anything. You know, you're not going to be good at it. And I think it's true. It's it's not uncommon for people to say this. Engineers are tend to be an introverted group in the aggregate. And you just got to come out of that shell and you got to work on that or or 
if you want to aspire to be the best in your profession. Those skills will come to bear eventually. And it seems to be that way in every line of work, no matter what you do. Absolutely. You have to have that solid background to be able, and contacts to be able to get right. ahead. You know, the focus naturally at, at the university is on building your technical acumen. And that's obviously very, very important to your career as an engineer. Mm -hmm. But at some point, you got to work on the soft skills and you got to figure out how to exercise yourself in a manner just like you did when you were an undergraduate in the, the civil engineering curriculum. You got to devise ways to stretch uh, the limits of what you're capable of doing. You know, what I tell young professionals is you got to learn to adapt to feeling uncomfortable because part of growing is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I imagine that feeling of being uncomfortable was not new to you when you transitioned into your civilian position. That's correct. So yeah. how, how difficult was that transition coming from the armed forces and a, a long career there into working at HDR? Well, honestly, I was hired uh, not for really my technical ability mm -hmm. as an engineer. I was hired as a leader uh, into the company. I, I oversee a, a broad group of folks. Of course, there was a lot uh, that I had to learn, mm -hmm. no question about it. But I was confident in my ability and my dedication that I would learn it. It was a little overwhelming in the beginning. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but uh, like most things, I focused time and effort and attention on it and asked a lot of questions. And uh, it was eventually something that I learned to master. You don't want me designing a bridge, as I tell the students. <laughs> the days are long gone when I uh, remember uh, the principles of my structural engineering courses. But I am... Uh, capable of sort of getting to the bottom of an issue and asking the right questions. And I have the technical background to understand a deeply technical matter when it's explained to me. Right. And so what types of work is it that you do as president of the Federal Business Group for HDR? So my group is responsible for about $170 million worth of revenue per year for a broad array of federal clients. What my time and energy is spent on is dealing with issues that we have to confront with uh, our major clients as we deliver that design effort, that $170 million worth of design. So I represent my group at the executive level. We spend time frequently talking about where we're mm -hmm. facing challenges and what we're going to do. That's really the crux of what I do as a federal business group president. It's consistent with uh, my counterparts in the company as well. They're not paid to get down and grade a plan set, if you will. They're really paid to make sure that we're consistently delivering quality results. How much was that stressed when you were a student? Consistency? Well, you know, I don't remember that it was necessarily something that we talked about on a regular basis. But certainly through the courses that I took, there was a lot of focus and attention on mm -hmm. mastering the technical skills of a given area of study and very rigorous application of examinations and classroom presentations that made it pretty doggone clear that, you know, 
I'm going to decide whether you've mastered this to the level that you need to master it based on the results that you show to me on an examination that I'm going to administer to you four times a year uh, or a semester, I should yeah. say. Uh, so, you know, every four weeks, because we were on a 16-week program, you took a series of examinations and that graded paper coming back was pretty important. And it certainly was clear evidence in to me where I needed to maybe focus a bit more of my time and effort. The school did a very, very good job of uh, making sure I understood what the standard is. Of course, I had no experience at all with clients. I'm really encouraged to see that, uh, you know, you talk about the complete engineering, complete engineering initiative. There's a lot of, I think, well-deserved focus on. So what how does this apply to your client? How does this apply to a negotiation? And there wasn't much emphasis on that when I was an undergrad, and I think it's well-deserved emphasis. You learned a lot from your naval career that you're now transitioning into the private sector. How much longer do you, do you see yourself working, or do you have a plan ever in place to retire? Oh, yeah, I'll retire someday. Clearly, I'll do that. But, you know, what's kept me going for 41 years is really the uh, opportunity to work with great people. Uh, You know, I tell um, my staff this all the time. You know, we're very, very fortunate. We're an employee-owned firm of 10,000 people, all of whom come to work each and every day trying to do the best job they can for their clients. And that's pretty exciting stuff. We we are challenged sometimes in delivery, and that's where I get involved. Um, I have to Mm -hmm. deal with that with our larger clients and try to explain to them what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. But I enjoy getting up in the morning and coming to work. And as long as I can say that, I'll be working for HDR. Will that be another 25 years? I don't think so, because uh, at my advanced age, uh, (laughs) I'll have trouble getting out of bed 25 years from now. But God willing, uh, you know, my health is good. Uh, I'm going to keep doing it because I have a great team that supports me and I enjoy it. And you got to get back here to some football games. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, Doug, thanks for stopping by and uh, taking part in our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Complete Engineering Podcast. For more information, visit us at engineering.unl.edu.